This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to Brown's Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, writer for Cleveland.com. Going to come at you guys with a uh, summary of this Brown's 26-24 loss here in episode 13. Try to give us an understanding of what happened on the field. Plenty of positives from this football game that can be taken away. Uh, Sort of parlaying it to plenty of positives that can be taken away from the 2018 season. So, uh, you know, a lot to talk about. I'll say this. uh, The Brown's... Uh, once again showed great resolve. They they once again showed an ability to fight, the ability to care beyond um, what you know the franchise has put out there in the past two years. And I was really impressed. There were times in this game where the Browns could have packed it in. There were times in this game where the Browns were facing some injury difficulties, especially on the defensive side of the football that could have led to them packing it in. But they didn't. They, they fought. Uh, they had what is uh, admittedly from John Harbaugh at the end of the game, said this is his most talented team he's ever been around. He obviously coached a Super Bowl winner not too long ago. The Browns in Baltimore had the Ravens on their heels, right, and and had a chance to win that game. It was unfortunate the way it finished. I thought the Browns had ample opportunities to uh, push the ball down the field there and win that game. We'll, we'll talk about the missed throw to Jarvis Landry there on on, a, on second down that could have kept things on track. But plenty of, like I said, plenty of positives to take away from this game. You should feel good. As a, as a Browns fan, you should feel good about this team heading into an offseason, a coaching search, and a 2019 season uh, with, with real, genuine playoff expectations for the first time in a long time. I think the 2015 season was riddled with doubt as the Browns lost their last five games, didn't finish strong. This is the first time we can say since 2008, the year after the, they went 10-6, and six, that uh, this Browns team comes with great expectations. You should feel good about and expect a high level of uh, of improvement in the offseason. And we will attack that offseason in the draft and all of that as we go. But for now, I do want to spend a good amount of time breaking down what I thought was a really fun football game, having Nance Romo call it a 425. The game turned into dark late in the game. It just it felt It felt big. It felt like the NFL mattered for Cleveland for the first time in a long time, and that was cool. A taste, a sample, an appetizer of what could come in the future. Um, It could be the Browns could be on primetime four or five games next year, which is awesome, and I hope you guys enjoyed that game as much as I did. Again, the outcome kind of sucked. It didn't turn out as we hoped it would, but at the end of the day, you want football to matter, and all the way up until the very end of the 2018 calendar year, Browns football mattered down to the last few seconds of the of the last game of the year. And that's cool. We can't really put a price tag on that because we haven't had it in forever. So um, plenty of positives. But I'm not going to waste any more time. We'll be right back with our guest as we will uh, recap this game for the Browns and, and talk about both sides of the football. Okay, guys. Welcoming in Brendan Leister, PFF analyst. Uh, going to get some insight on 
uh, Browns Week 17 loss here. Brendan, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Disappointed about that game today, but it was a fun season. Um, you know, the turnaround was pretty fun. It was fun to just follow along, and it's good to see that the Browns have a franchise quarterback now. So that's pretty exciting. How how about you? Yeah, man. I, I think it was it was in the midst of that uh, stop there in the in the fourth quarter late, where I was like in my living room, standing up, holding my son. I'm like, this is pretty surreal, man. Like I'm actually caring about Week 17 down to the last minute. Uh, uh, football and I've never done that and, you know like you and I talked about during the game they have uh, Nance and Romo calling the game and this is just feels like everything I get the NFL always felt like something other people got to enjoy and we never got to enjoy it and it was like the first time that we really got to enjoy like a, a taste of the real NFL and you know high stakes real NFL I should say and it was it was cool man for the first time in a while I mean we tasted it and to an extent in years past, but it's very, it's there are gaps. There are huge gaps between, and you know, having sat through what we sat through the last two years, man, it was, it was cool. It didn't end the way we wanted it to, but it was, it was cool to see uh, and feel that stuff because that could be a taste of the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I agree a hundred percent. I just don't remember any other times where it felt like success could potentially be like sustainable. For and, sure. Like, they had the foundation like what they do now. So it's just really encouraging at this point. Yeah, man, and they they could get three, four, five primetime game. I mean, make you know Mayfield's the ticket. They could get uh they could get quite a few of those, man. Yep, they just got to knock out this coaching hire. Yeah, well, that's a that's a conversation we'll have later on, buddy. <laughs> um, let's talk the game. So obviously the Browns lose twenty six twenty four. Um, I thought I I kind of want to get your overall take, man. What you thought of the game? I thought. Uh, there were there were times they could pack it in and they didn't pack it in. I liked that part of it. I it, it got to the point where it was, I think twenty twenty to seven, and they were the Ravens were driving down there to score, and then Lamar fumble happened, and uh, I'm sure that that swings a pendulum because the Browns go down twenty seven to seven there. It might might have just sort of packed it in, but it was a big play, right? I mean, what are your general thoughts of the game, buddy? I thought that early on it was tough. It kind of reminded me of the Houston game. You know, they had those two turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. And they got down, I think it was, what, 23 to 7, maybe, something around there, 20 to 7. And then, uh, you know, they battled back in the second half, and I thought Mayfield really responded. Um, yeah, I know that a stat sheet says three three interceptions, but, you know, overall, he he played well. Yeah, he forced the ball at times, but that's, like we've talked about before, that's that's what you're going to get with him. He's he's a gunslinger. He's confident. Um, early in the game, he he tried to fit the ball in some tight spots. And, you know, I thought Callaway could have helped him a little more on the first one, maybe coming back to the ball a little a little more. Um, but, yeah, just in general, I thought the team battled. And in the end, the better team won the game. And it's a good uh, learning experience for the Browns. And I agree with you. They could have packed it in, but they, they kept fighting. And it's clearly a pretty pretty cool group of young guys that, you know, they believe in themselves and they really grew their confidence grew tremendously this year. And, you know, they, that franchise quarterback goes a long way. So um, overall, you know, disappointed they lost, but I thought that uh, you know, they showed a lot of good things. Yeah. Let, let's dive into, you talk Mayfield there. He, he finished 23 of 42, 376, nine yard average, three touchdowns, which was cool. Set the rookie record at 27 ends the game with three picks, which puts him at 14. So uh, really a close to two to one ratio for his rookie year. At 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 79.1 passer rating. Just your general thoughts, um, uh, Brendan, on what what you thought of his night in general. I, I'll, I'll throw this interesting stat at you. You probably saw it because I retweeted it, and 
um, against the Blitz. Usually Mayfield pretty good against the Blitz. Tonight, a little different story. Um, he was 7 of 22 against the Blitz for only 3.2 yard per av- uh, you know average per throw. Uh, ended up with all three of his interceptions came on uh, Blitzed downs. That the, the Ravens brought more than their usual, or I think the typical number is four, so they brought more than four. Um, when they didn't blitz him, he was 16 of 20 on 15.3 yards per attempt, and all three of his touchdowns came on non-blitz route uh, snap. So, struggle with the blitz. Let's 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 talk big picture Mayfield um, Browns receivers here against a blitz. Just you know, give me your thoughts, buddy. Yeah, some of the things that I noticed was just like routes getting cut off and physical man-to-man coverage. Like on the first interception, for example, I thought you know Callaway got his route cut off. It was like a curl route, and he was coming back to the football, and instead of coming back all the way back to the ball, he let the defender undercut his route, and it resulted in an interception. Yeah, I um, think that ball was tipped, and then I, I thought Jimmy mm-hmm. um, was. Jimmy Smith, man, really, really handsy on that play. I, I just yep. started to break it down and was looking at I mean, that's going to happen. A lot of snaps, guys get handsy, but um, – just yeah, interesting point there. I thought that the route could have been could have been approached back to the football a little bit more. I need to watch a different angle right. of it because it looks like like you mm-hmm. said the ball was tipped. I, I couldn't tell if it totally redirected where it went because I ended up that. Uh, I, I didn't think, think that so much. I yeah. felt like the ball was still going to go in a, the same general vicinity. I think more of the point is just it was really tight coverage. Um, that's kind of the point I'm mm-hmm. making. I guess is. I thought they, they did a great job of disguising, bringing pressure, as they always do, You know, dropping guys out that you don't expect, um, and rotating late. That's something Baltimore does a lot of. And it just felt like – I felt like the coverage was tight down the field on a lot of those plays, and it resulted in, like you said, with the average being so short, I think Mayfield just kind of on those plays was just trying to get the ball out quickly um, to his hot – receiver or his flat route underneath and what would happen a lot of times was the guy would get tackled like I think of the Darren Fells play where he mm-hmm. just throws it to him immediately in the flat he gets tackled after a two or three yard gain like those can be positive plays but it's still it's tough to consistently hit those and really get you know big chunk plays I thought I thought um, that Brendan, the game. I thought that happened on on pick two where it looked like just a simple curl flat concept that he threw into the mm-hmm. curl. Um, yes. Although the invert defender didn't chase the flat, so um, yeah, be a piggyback on that. What did you see there? Oh yeah, that was exactly what I saw. It's you know it's a curl flat concept, and instead of just taking what the defense gave him, actually on that play, he um, I think it know, was a third and long route. too, right? I yeah. believe. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you are right about that. The thing with that play, though, is you still can't force it because mm-hmm. if you get the ball to the flat, the guy in the flat, he can get yards after the catch on that play, potentially break a tackle and get the first down. But, yeah, that that's the problem with when you don't read the flat defender and he covers the curl route, then it can become doubled between the two guys that are on that route and then the flat's wide open and he passed it up. And, yeah, it just it resulted in an interception because it was tight coverage. And we saw that from Mayfield early in the season, too, where he, he made a few of those throws. I thought middle of the season he did a better job um, of late. He's done a better job for the most part. But, you know, today he made that mistake. And that's going to happen with a young young quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely, man. Then I thought the last pick by, by C.J. Mosley was just sort of a savvy move, man. Kind of sat back. And uh, and read his eyes and and <laughs> I mean I'm not sure Duke Johnson gets that first down if that ball is completed but nonetheless that was just a really athletic I thought even Jimmy Smith's second pick those were two hyper athletic plays uh, oh definitely uh, to yep. bring to bring those down but yeah let's let's do uh, 
Let's talk running game. Um, it's unfortunate for Nick Chubb, right? I think he went over a thousand yards, and then in a, that mm-hmm. late fourth quarter carry took him back under a thousand. So I think he finishes like nine ninety six or something like that. I don't know. Wow. I got to look at it, but that stinks. Um, but early, I mean, early on, I, I I almost tweeted it out, but I, I was in the midst of doing something. I remember thinking, oh, I forgot to tweet that. Looked like the Browns were moving the line of scrimmage. And they were able to establish, like, the first two running plays were pretty successful run plays. I think they ran duo, and then I think they ran counter uh, run for, like, I think they ran for 20 yards between the two of them. So, um, you, you know, to touch on that. People are going to want to know 14 carries for 50 yards, only a 3.6-yard carry average. Duke Johnson does run four times for 21 yards. I thought, and you and I talked about this a little beforehand, Duke was a little bit more involved in traditional run game stuff that we don't normally see him involved in, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't usually see him in that role. A lot of what he does with the Browns is he's typically like a third down back. If he's on the field with Chubb, he's more of a receiving weapon. And, and then he, he's using pass protection at times on third downs and such. But, you know, today they lined up with him uh, under like they lined up under center with him at running back and mm-hmm. they ran the ball with him a few times. And he had 5.2 yards per carry average, which was pretty good and it's interesting the Browns don't do more of that because I think early in his career he did a lot more of that playing as a traditional running back Um, in his rookie year for example he had 104 carries uh, second year 73 third year 82 and this year he only had 36 carries Um, and then you look at his college career where he was actually which is amazing because you think about the running backs that have gone through Miami but in three years he broke the all-time career rushing record at Miami with 3,519 yards. And in college, he had 526 carries in three years. Mm-hmm. And at Miami, a lot of times they played under center. So, you know, he was a traditional running back coming out of Miami. It's not like he's always just been this little scat back type player. He, he's been a traditional running back in his career. I know that recently he's transitioned to more of a wide receiver type weapon uh, for the most part. But, and, and he's even talked about how he likes playing that position more than playing running back even to the media but um it is interesting how that's changed in his career and how he's evolved as a player um it was it was interesting seeing them use him that way today because i hadn't seen that in a while honestly a lot of his runs usually come out of shotgun yeah no i was i was surprised too and tried to make note of it during the game that i I liked it he's shifty he 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 Mm -hmm. had some nice runs early on now you know, when the Browns went down quickly as they did, I thought it got to 17-7 quick. And then, obviously, before half, it was 20-7. to They got that turnover. Uh, and then they came out. I think, I think did Baltimore kick a field? I think Baltimore kicked a field goal to make it 23-7. So, at that point, you're not mm-hmm. running the ball much. Like, the Browns are just going to abandon running the ball because you need to drive the football down the field, throwing it and make up for, you know, uh, yep. you know being down early. So, I'm not, I'm not going to freak out about it. I thought the Browns had really successful run game the last half of the year. Obviously, if Nick Chubb gets more carries – and what he had maybe 15 total carries through the first five or six weeks. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to run for a thousand yards. He's going to have a great career. And I'm not stressing that receiving game wise. Um, Jarvis Landry had five for one Oh two could have had more, uh, missed that ball up the, up the hash. Brendan and I actually just watched that, that clip because we wanted to see what the coverage was. It looked like a busted coverage. What do you think? Did, is that a completable ball? Should Landry make that catch hits him in the face mask? Yeah, I think the angle is tough because a lot of times when the quarterback's throwing straight down the field mm-hmm. up in the air like that, like a rainbow um, where the receiver has to track it over his shoulder, that's one of the toughest catches in football, actually, because you can't track it over one of your shoulders and look back. You have to look straight over your head and track the ball. So it's, it's a really challenging catch you know, on the scale of difficult catches, mm-hmm. but 
But at the same time, Landry's paid big bucks, and he needs to make that catch. He absolutely should. It's it was a good throw. It it looked bad because it hit him in the helmet, but he should, still should just slow up slightly and make that catch. It would look smooth if he had done it, but yeah, he absolutely absolutely should make that catch. He's wide open, and uh, you know it was a great scheme getting him up the seam against mm-hmm. the linebacker. Like you said, I think it was blown coverage, but um, yeah, Mayfield made the right read and the right throw. He's just gotta. Just got to catch the ball and make the play. Yeah, it would have been a really big game. Not sure it goes to the house, but at least a really big game. And maybe he breaks a tackle down the field. You never know. Um, but, yeah, then then going down the line, just this is what I like. Uh, I like that you had Rashard Higgins, four for 86. You had Antonio Callaway, four for 79, a touchdown. You had David Njoku, three for 62. And you had Rashad Perriman, three for 45. Then you look at targets, nine from Landry. Then going down the line, six Higgins, seven Callaway, seven Njoku, four Perriman. I just, I really like it. Like, it just, the group... Mm-hmm. The, the distribution is never favored one way or the other, typically. There's going to be somebody who might get a couple more that are game plan specific. But I don't know, man. I just I feel like this might be a wide receiver group that you can run back for the most part. I mean, what did you think of Higgins and Callaway tonight? I thought Higgins had a really solid day overall. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed. Actually, there was a play where they threw, I think, a screen to him. And initially, I thought it was Callaway because of the burst that he showed after mm-hmm. the catch. And then I saw that it was 81, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, Higgins had a hell of a play there. I think that was a 30-yarder um, big... down the left sideline, I believe, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was a big play. And yep. I didn't realize it was Higgins at the time. But, yeah, Higgins, he moves a lot better than people would think based on, you know, his combine numbers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He he moves well. He's a deceptive athlete. And then Callaway, you know, overall he played really well. You know, I've, I've already mentioned the play where I thought that he could have done a better job of coming back to the ball, maybe break up that pass that resulted in an interception. But overall, I mean, he tracked a few balls down the sideline. And, um, I remember one down the right sideline that was, a. you know, a great catch over the shoulder. It's the first completed the throw, right? I believe of, of, I think of, so. of the game for them. Yeah, it was a great yeah. catch tracking, yeah. like you said, tracking, dragging the toes. Good point. What about Njoku? Three for sixty-two. What'd you see? Yeah, I thought that Njoku. Um, this was one of his best games after the catch. Mm-hmm. I think. I think last week he did a great job after the catch too with the long play, but this week again he he did some more like subtle things where catch a five-yard pass, you know, get up the field, make someone miss and then get 12 yards on the play. You know, just finishing after the catch. I think he did a great job of that today, and and that's something that we haven't seen a ton of in Cleveland with him, um, that he did really well at Miami. And then obviously the ball down the field where he boxed the guy out, that was just a tremendous play by him and mm-hmm. something that you hope to see more of in the future. He just he really gives them a weapon that can go up and play big, not only be big, but also play big, which is something I really look for in guys because I think – you know, size sometimes gets a little overrated. I think the key is whether a guy plays big because there's little guys like, you know, people remember Steve Smith Sr., you mm-hmm. know, in his career at Baltimore and Carolina. He's a 5'9 dude, but he played like he was six foot three. And there's lots of guys out there that they play big. And I love to look for guys like that. You know, Najoku obviously is big and plays big, which is great. Um, with the receivers overall, like you were mentioning with the stats, I think the big thing that stands out to me is, all those guys, you know, Perryman, uh, Najoku, Callaway, Higgins, Landry, they were all over 15 yards per catch or at at or over 15 yards per catch. And and that's that's pretty good for that group of guys um, all to be there. Uh, three of them, Najoku, Higgins, and Landry, all were at 20 yards a catch. So, or over 20, I should say. So that's a really explosive day. Yeah, I think it's interesting, man, especially uh... – 
you, you got four guys there who can make plays for you. You feel okay about the drop numbers decreased immensely late in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll admit I was wrong. I think a majority of us were wrong. Brashad Perriman turned into a really productive player. Uh, it was cool seeing him bring in that 28-yard touchdown, uh, you know, back in Baltimore. I He's, I don't know, yeah. man. I just, I'm looking at this group and I'm like, okay, everybody wants to bring in some sort of wide receiver or playmaker. And like, if you're going to get a big time name, you know, the name everyone's talking about, Odell Beckham, like if you can figure out that, that's cool. Or um, people have floated Mike Evans kind of silly. I don't think they're in any way moving on from him, but just somebody like that, that's fine. But I just, this, these guys, who are you taking out? I mean, I don't know. It's like Higgins and Callaway are young guys on the rise. You got yeah. Jarvis Landry for one more year, whether you want him or not, because of his dead cap number. I don't know, man. I, I think it's a good group. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see what they do with expanding that group. Because you got to think, Ricardo Lewis comes back. What are they doing with him? I, I don't know. Is he an odd man out? I, I'm not sure. People have wanted and hinted that wide receivers a need. I'm just not. I'm just not convinced. It's uh, yeah. It's I it, think. Oh, I, was, I apologize. No, go ahead, man. Go on. No, oh. nail it. Yeah, I. I think my question is. I just I want more reliability when it comes to explosiveness defeating man coverage down the field like you can scheme up um route concepts and you know pick routes and just different things to beat man coverage um but i think having like a reliable route runner that can win at every level of the field and make those clutch catches i think that is that's an important thing especially once you get in the playoffs against really good defenses like i think we saw that kind of today with kind of what we were talking about with the tight coverage and the blitzing, you know, I I have to still go in and break it down and watch the all 22 closer and see more of the issues that were going on. But, you know, I I do like this group. I think that they would benefit from another threat. Maybe I think that could help them, but I do agree generally that it's, it's a good group and, and I do think that they can absolutely win with them. And it's, um, it's definitely an NFL average group. Like it's not, subpar or below average or anything like that it's definitely around the middle of the league um the thing that's great about the group is that teams can't really key on one guy because i mean if you key on one guy then the other guys are going to be able to make the plays too so yeah it's, um, it's just going to be yeah it's just going to be interesting to see if they bring somebody else in who's the odd man out because the the easy answer to me and people get mad I I just Jarvis is fine he's a good player he's fit in for what they want him to do but it's like if you're looking for somebody else that can separate and run downfield and do he's kind of the odd man out you don't want it Higgins and Callaway are young Callaway's on the rise um Perriman's still absolutely and and Perriman's still young he's flashed some really nice potential in the oh, second yeah. half of this year. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. You can draft yeah. a guy. This is the, the good thing. You can take somebody in round two or round three and not expect them to contribute immediately. Groom them. Mm-hmm. Bring uh, Wide receiver's tough, man, in the NFL. So, you know, bring yep. them along slowly. Maybe that's what they'll do. But let, let's shift defense. Um, and play situational, too. Yeah, 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 of that's course. That's another thing because you can always rotate receivers in and play different roles with them. I think we saw that especially early with Perriman. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make one last point is – you know, a lot of times when they'd go like 13 personnel with the heavy personnel groupings, um, they would just put him on the field. And then any other situation, he wasn't really out there a ton, but he would just be in there to kind of run their deep clear out routes and stuff. And I think you can do that with a young guy and get his feet wet. 
Um, they probably would have liked to do that with with Callaway this year, honestly. But with the Gordon thing and the Corey Coleman thing, that they, they were forced to play Callaway a lot earlier. And it's it's amazing that the receiver group produced this well this year, honestly, with with all the shit that they went through early in the season. Yeah, the Adam Henry, um, you know, role there can't can't be. I think it, it gets missed. I think he's done, like you said. They they could have really tanked. I think early in the year their their drop number was up near nine percent. They weren't really separating. I thought I thought Todd Haley didn't do them many favors, but um yeah, for for a group that was struggling, I think Mayfield has helped them, obviously. But Oh, definitely. Um yeah, they they've come along well. They could be a lot they've made tough catches. Like these tight window throws that makes you know, Mayfield makes the big time throws, those are tough catches, man. And they're and they're bringing them in. They've surprised me They've surprised me a lot. I think the group, if they ran it, let me put it this way. They can improve it. There's no doubt about that. But if they run it back in 2019 with the same group, I'd have no problem. Um, I agree. Which is which is cool. I couldn't imagine us having that conversation just f- four or five weeks ago and saying that. I, 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 would, re- I would replace Ratley, though. <laughs> um, yes, I would agree with that. He would be an odd man out. And then um, they added another roster spot for who some, some of Blake, Blake Jackson. I, I don't know. I can't remember his name. But, yeah, they, they, they can add a couple guys. But uh, – they they don't have to. Good thing is, man, they don't have to rely on on offense anywhere. This is the beautiful thing. Yeah. I don't notice anywhere that they need to immediately fix something. Like they have to plug and play instantly. I think Greg Robinson oh, has I done agree, well 100%. enough. Yeah, yeah. Like Greg Robinson has done well enough that he can anchor left. I don't think you have to move Joel Batonio. Some people have suggested trying to move him back to tackle and blah blah. I'm, you don't have to do any of it. I think the group is fine. Um, yep. and that's cool, man. How many times have we said that? I can't, <laughs> I can't, mm. I can't remember last time defensively. Yeah, I, I think there wait. are. Yeah. I can't wait for the defensive heavy off season. Yeah, it's going to be, and it should be. So let's talk defense, right? So you had, um, Joe Schober with 13 tackles, nine from Jamie Collins, guys, you would expect in a read against option teams, linebackers make tackles. Um, you know, I, I just give me your thought. I'll start with this, Brendan, you know, this is a tough, you know, this, and you're going to elaborate on it. This is a tough offense to, to, to defend. It's unique, something you don't see um, week to week. It was something that last time we saw this offense really perfected and used really effectively was the 2012 49ers that went to the Super Bowl. I, for one, would not be surprised one bit if the if the Ravens were able to ride this wave of momentum and take themselves to the Super Bowl. Um, have to get through Kansas City, but in the Patriots and blah blah blah. But I think I, I would just I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised because it's that hard to defend. Uh the Browns gave up nearly three hundred yards rushing, right? I think it was two ninety six was the last number I saw there. Yeah. I mean Dixon had one seventeen, Lamar had ninety, and Gus Edwards had seventy six. So they didn't really defend the run well, but they didn't they didn't break in the second half, which was important to me. They only gave up six second half points and battled. But to to sort of wrap it full circle here, 49ers have two important coaching names, right, that, that make this all make sense. Greg Roman, who was a, a big part of uh, Jim Harbaugh's staff in San Francisco, developing that pistol offense that you're seeing Baltimore run. And then a name that you, you, you made sure to elaborate today on Twitter, which I thought was nice for people to hear, Marty Morningway, right, um, was successful mm-hmm. with the Eagles as their OC under Mike Vick, some of Mike Vick's most successful seasons. So just, just in general, I know it's hard for us to sit here – four or five hours removed from the game without a second viewing that includes all 22 with the end zone angle and break down well this guy played well that guy played well it's just it's a hard offense to prepare for I kind of just want your general thoughts about how they defended it yeah so I thought early in the game especially the the run fits were really messy I mean you could say that throughout the game but I think there were times in the second half where they really did a great job of buckling down and, and doing much better job of playing sounder football um I think there are times where guys will 
try to do too much. You know, they'll leave their assignment, then it makes someone else want to overcompensate, and it kind of just results in a big mess. And I think that can happen against teams like that with all the the motion and the shifting and the creativity with the run game and the read option game. You know, they, the Ravens almost always read someone in their in their run game because mm-hmm. they they want to take advantage of an undisciplined guy. You know, if he's going to jump inside and take the running back when he's not supposed to, then Lamar Jackson's going to get on the on the edge or he's going to keep the ball up the middle when they run power read. Um, there's just so many things that they do that are creative in their run game, and it just presents so many problems for people. And then they do a great job of running the, the boot action pass plays and getting Lamar Jackson out on the edge. Mm-hmm. He's really good at throwing on the run, as we saw on some of those crossing routes hitting the tight ends. Um, and I'll give Baltimore have... this credit too, man. I don't know if... When they drafted Max Williams just last, you know, just uh, I don't know how many years has Max Williams been? Probably like, three years. Yeah, ago. I mean they 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 got Max and then they they took two. They took Mark Andrews and and they took Hayden Hurst. Um, yep. I mean, shout out to Ozzie Newsom for for I guess a little bit of forward vision here. Like I, I'm not sure if they drafted those two this year, knowing that those they were going to play Lamar, but it is. I'm sure that they tabled it. I'm sure that when they they looked at draft strategy, they thought, hey, if we end up playing. Or if we want to take Lamar Jackson at some point, what do we need to surround him with? Those three tight ends are, I mean, damn, man. Like, they block yep. their butts off, and they, they pull and block them often. And then, like you said, they get them out on boot action. And and uh, and Mark Andrews, man, is, is better than I even thought he was, and I was high on him. What, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I liked him a lot coming out. But, yeah, I agree. He's he's probably faster than I expected. Mm-hmm. He's, he's great at going up and getting the ball in traffic, but he's, he's good after the catch and, and he's done a great job this year. And, you know, they run a lot of the high lows in the middle of the field. And that's where Lamar has always been at his best is reading like curl flat, mm-hmm. curl flat reads, you know, throwing curl routes, throwing crossing routes over the middle, just anything over the middle of the field between the numbers is kind of his wheelhouse. When you get outside the numbers, he's always had some trouble um everybody kind of knows that that watched him at at louisville but the the ravens have done a great job getting those big guys that can work in the middle of the field and and he does a good job of it and i think he's a much better passer than a lot of people give him credit for i know that he'll have like the really bad misses here and there and everybody freaks out about it but Mm -hmm. for the most part like if you watch that game today he didn't miss just a ton of throws you know he he made plenty of throws to win the game i know he's not the passer that baker mayfield is but i mean there's not a lot of guys that are Uh, i think lamar jackson's definitely a plenty good enough passer and then we saw we all saw how dynamic he is in the run game i do want to talk second half browns hold him to six points like i said earlier did you see anything they did differently they just tackling better like gap responsibility was cleaner what'd you what'd you see yeah, I think that that was part of it, but I also thought that getting the corners involved with the run run defense even more, um, you know, what the Browns do a decent amount of is they'll play cover two, but they'll um, they'll read run pretty hard with their corners. So like if they see that it it's a run play, they immediately jump inside and blitz, and then the safeties come down over the top just in case the quarterback pulls the ball and throws it out there really quick. So. They they play like a really hard cover too sometimes, which like if if it's a pass, they will drop out sometimes. But they were doing that, and uh, I noticed that Mitchell and Carey got involved with the run game and made a few tackles on the edge that were pretty big difference makers on drives, especially late in the game. And that was one of the things that was kind of a change up. 
you know, they did it a few times in the first half, but I thought I noticed it a few more times in the second half, and it kind of stands out with uh, Mitchell had six tackle or seven tackles, and then Carey had five. I know some of those were were on plays where they gave up catches or they were helping someone who gave up a catch, but I thought those guys got involved with the run game some. I thought Body Calhoun made a play or two in the run game that stood out to me, and then Peppers, as usual, you know, he had seven tackles. Um, decent amount of those were in the run game as well, so you know, secondary players coming down and making plays in the run game. I thought that was one of the differences in that second half. Yeah, I thought the Browns got a couple of nice breaks with the penalties too. Um, you know, with I think there was a holding call that negated a touchdown, and there was a oh, couple yeah. times where the Ravens were in the in the edge of uh, field goal position, but a, a penalty here and there kind of caused them to bump out of it. Actually, Baltimore finished with ten penalties, sixty-five yards. Um, so that played a little bit of a factor. You know, they're running the ball a lot. They actually ended up with 17 minutes more of, of ball control, which is to be expected. I just thought the Browns did a better bend but don't break in the second half. And, um, you know, I thought they eliminated the bigger plays. I, I have to go back and watch it again, but uh, it just felt like they eliminated those long runs that we were seeing. And uh, it was it was good. You know, I, I think Baltimore, I'm not going to freak out about it. We all know the Browns' run defense isn't very good this year. They're short uh, on, on, on able bodies up front. I think that that will be a big part of what they do as they look at the 2019 draft here will be drafting interior defensive linemen. That's where I want them to go with the 17th pick if a, a player aligns and free agency and all that. So it's interesting, man. It's interesting. Um, I, I just, it's just to bring it all around. They fought, which was cool to see. Could have packed it in. It's really crummy how it ended. We, we get it, but it was cool to feel that feel. And, um, yeah, man, just just really excited about what the 2019 offseason brings. We're not going to talk about it because I'll have Brendan on later, and we'll we'll see who they hire and from who they hire. We'll do a pre-draft with Brendan as well and try to get his feel for prospects and all of that. But yeah, just just sort of your feel for the season, Brendan. What'd you think, buddy? Um, I thought for this season, I thought that it was like three seasons. So <laughs> yeah. the beginning of the season when they had Tyrod Taylor as their starter, um, that feels like forever ago. <laughs> And it also feels like it went on for a lot longer than it did, even though it was only two and a half games. It just it felt like he was their starter a lot longer than he was. So there was like that season, and obviously that didn't go the way that we wanted. And then there was the second season where Mayfield took over, and there was a lot of excitement, and everybody was, you know, everybody was excited. And Hugh Jackson's talking about how the team needs to be uh, cautious of bandwagon jumpers and all this stuff, like all these ridiculous things. And then the team kind of declined as that went on, you know, over the last few games or over the the final few games of his tenure. And then Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens took over. And then that was like the third season. And the Browns just from there, they just kept improving and kept building and kept building. And, you know, a few weeks ago they got killed against the Texans. Yeah. They rallied in the second half and made it a game, but it still just felt like a playoff team destroying the Browns kind of in the end. It just felt like that game was never really as in reach as the scoreboard maybe said. Whereas in this game, you know, the Ravens got ahead, but the Browns came back and they really made it a competitive game and almost came away with the win in the end. So um, I thought overall the Browns just improved the whole way. Um, it was great that Mayfield broke that record for touchdown passes by a rookie. That That's just a really cool mark by him. And, mm -hmm. and it's just – the Browns have something really cool going now with a lot of young talent, a lot of guys that are ascending, and they just have to make the right coaching hire and, and carry this momentum into the offseason. 
Yes, um, the three season thing, man, very accurate. It, it, you, you sort of gave some really accurate points about about the uh, Tyrod Taylor it, it feeling longer than it was. I think that's probably because we are we all argued it so much in the off season, right, about whether he should start or yeah, not. And, training yeah. camp in yeah. the preseason. I mean, he was the starter for a long time. He just only started three games. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And then the the second legs of. Hugh Jackson and Haley guiding Mayfield and the roller coaster that was. And then, yeah, what, what happened with Freddie Kitchens and the surprise that was a really cool uh, surprise that was the second half of the year. And I will just say this, and, and I think people who listen to this podcast or people that follow me or follow Brendan, uh, I, I'm just find a way to keep Freddie Kitchens, man, in some capacity, whether that's the head coach um, or you can find a way to construct keeping him as an offensive coordinator that allows him a path to being the head coach, um, we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on it. I just I just think he needs to be here somehow, some way, and um, yep. and and I, I hope they do that. But um, yeah, we'll we'll wrap this one up, guys. I, I hope you enjoyed this first. I know we started late with the we, you know I started this podcast early in the year with John. You know things sort of went in a different direction middle of the year. I've had a ton of fun with it. Brendan is obviously one of my you know more favorite guests to bring on. I. I, I've, I've brought Brendan into Brown's film breakdown. He, he, you know, I couldn't have, he brought the idea to me. We sort of collaborated back and forth on it. Uh, we're going to do more this off season and, and break more things down as we go. But I just, uh, it's been cool. It's been exciting all the way around. I hope you guys are enjoying what we're doing at Brown's film breakdown. And, um, and, and, and yeah, I, I think that, I think we'll have a really cool plan into the off season and we'll, We'll try to give you guys more teaching. I think that's important is, is understanding, and that's what we can do. We can slow things down in the offseason um, as well. But, Brendan, man, per the usual, buddy, I appreciate you coming on. It's, you know, it's late here. We're talking well into 1 a.m. on what is now Monday morning. And, uh, you know, it's Browns football, though, right? We're excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to a lot, a lot more – podcasts that involve talking about wins and excitement and hopefully playoff games and all that kind of stuff so thank you for having me on i appreciate it man yeah yeah, anytime buddy you're the you're the best so we will we will come back at you guys here i'm not sure if we'll hopefully have something else this week we might not we'll we'll try to collaborate some sort of plan for how we're going to look at prospects and and free agency class and all of that stuff but if you guys haven't done so uh, it would it would mean the world to me if you if you get on iTunes and give us a review five stars all that good stuff, um, you know leave a comment there if you can all those sorts of reviews let us know you're watching and you're enjoying, I shouldn't say watching that you're listening right and enjoying what you're listening to so I, I appreciate that and obviously appreciate your guys support so that's a wrap here, uh, we will be back hopefully in the next week or so, uh, until then guys, seven eight and one not the best record in the world but seven more wins than last year we'll keep it positive right so uh, for the usual rounds. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.